And so during this war of attrition, your mind needs to win, not your heart. Your feelings don't get to win over your thoughts because your thoughts are calculating everything around you. Your, your heart is thinking in one direction, just with your gut feeling. And we cannot trust our gut feeling. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast, episode 144. Thanks for coming, listening, wherever you're coming from, TikTok, After Midnight, Instagram, uh, maybe you're just a long-time listener. We drop episodes every Monday morning. I answer your questions. You email grangersmithpodcast at gmail.com. We talk about it in long form as though we're sitting in a pickup truck cab together. You got an idea. You say, hey man, I want to run something by you, and we talk about it as long as it takes to answer the question. You could ask me about anything. The subjects are all over the place, and let's get started. Subject line of this first one says, my ex keeps talking about me. Hey, Granger, my name is Chad. I'm 25 years old. I'm from Southeast Oklahoma. Me and my ex-girlfriend dated for three and a half years. She left me three years ago. We don't speak to each other anymore, but these past few months, I have people come and tell me that she keeps talking about me. It's not all bad stuff. I don't know what it could mean. I'm just in awe right now. Sorry this is long. Love your music and your podcast. They've helped me a lot. So Chad, um, thanks for emailing, buddy. Shout out to Southeast Oklahoma. I love Southeast Oklahoma. You are, you're asking about your ex-girlfriend, dated for quite some time, and you've been broken up for about the same amount of time. Now she's talking about you. You're getting wind through the grapevine, and it sounds like by your email... Uh, you're, you said, I'm just in awe right now. It sounds like this is exciting to you. It sounds like you're still not over her and you are uh, interested in possibly getting back together. First thing I want to say is, um, wh- why is it a surprise that your ex is talking about you? You dated three and a half years. You've got mutual friends. You've got a lot of stuff in common. You have enough in common that you dated for three and a half years. It doesn't seem like a surprise that she's talking about you. And I don't know if that means anything, really. I don't know if that means there's hope for you to get back together with her. Uh, I don't know if she's just kind of venting because she's moved on and she's still remembering and wanting to get past that. Uh, but I, it could mean a lot of different things. And so I don't know if I'm taking this as a good thing, like, oh, wow, wow. It's, I'm suddenly back on her radar and she's talking about me to friends. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, Chad, besides um, it sounds like you haven't moved on. And regardless of what happens with her in the future, you're going to have to find contentment and you're going to have to find satisfaction on your own, alone, single, without her. And that's going to be the most attractive thing that you could give back to her if you are going to get back with her one day. She has to get back with you. You have coffee. You have dinner somewhere. And she thinks, wow, Chad is different now in a good way. Like he's confident. He's not worried about me and what I'm doing all the time. He's not asking other friends if they've heard from me because he seems to have moved on in a confident, secure way. And I'm very attracted to that. So that's something you can't put on a front for, you can't pretend to do, you have to really do it. And then it's going to come across as authentic and she's going to get that and she's going to, she's going to latch on to that. So regardless of what's happening, um, try to be the guy that's single and secure and confident away from her because you did break up and it has been a long time. And then after that, whatever happens may happen, but you're better off pretending like you're not going to get back. I don't think this means anything for you right now, but it could. Focus on yourself. Next question. I've got so many here. Um, subject line of this next one says, breakups. Hey, Granger, my name is Nate from Oregon. My fiance just broke up with me after being together for three years. I asked what I did wrong, and she said I did nothing wrong. She just lost the love for me, but still wants to be part of me to be part of her family and a part of her life. I'm just broken and confused. Would like your advice. Thanks. I hope this gets to you. Nate, thanks for emailing, buddy. Shout out to Oregon. I love that state too. Um, what we're dealing with here is another three-year year relationship, and what we're dealing with is 
someone that fell out of love. And the great thing for you, Nate, is that she was honest enough not to drag this on anymore. Now, it's unfortunate that you were, you were engaged and you probably had a ring and you probably had plans in the works. But the reality is, good on you because she was honest with you and she said, hey, you did nothing wrong. I fell out of love. That's natural. Now, you're going to blame yourself and you're going to think you did do something wrong, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't have to do anything wrong for someone just to fall out of love. But I'm happy that she was honest with you and told you now. And this didn't turn into something really messy and bad down the road. So take that and use it as a victory. It doesn't seem like a victory to you right now. And it's heartbreak is real. It's like grief. It's like you lost somebody. Now, the thing moving forward, what's tough to do is to be friends with her and be part of her family and part of her life. That's not, that's not great. It's not easy to do that. And I would advise against it because it's going to be really tough on your heart. It's going to be, it's going to be tough moving forward and hanging out and going to a Christmas party and she's there and you're talking and you're acting like things are normal, but they're not normal and you still love her and she doesn't love you and you know that and she knows it and you're saying that all with your eyes, not with your words, and you're making small talk about the eggnog. It's tough. It's tough. Sometimes you got to just say, you know what? Um, I still love you. I appreciate your honesty that you don't love me. But to protect my heart moving forward so I can move on and find somebody else and get my life back on track, I don't think I can go to that Christmas party because you're there. I don't think I can go hang out with your mom. These are things that are going to be unhealthy for me. Hey, and, and don't blame me if I got to block you on Facebook. It's not personal. I just can't see you every day popping up on my feed and you're having a good time and you're out with your friends and God forbid you're finding somebody new and I see it on Facebook. I don't think my heart could be put up to that. That hurts too bad. I loved you too much and I still do. Nate, you got to take care of yourself right now. You got to protect your heart heartbreak is serious and it could just go on and on and on unless you take the proper steps right now to cut her off and start learning to live single and secure. Similar, two similar questions almost. Next question says, hey Granger, I'm TJ. I'm 20 years old from a little town of Sheridan, Arkansas. I asked this girl out and I've been interested in her for a small while. I just want to make a good impression and do everything right for her. She's been on my mind a lot since I asked her. We have plans to meet this weekend. She says she believes in God and she's going to college. She's just about a year or two older. Thing is, she does have a little boy, and I don't really see that as a con. Is that bad? Thanks for your music and everything you do. Yee yee. TJ, thanks for emailing. Shout out to Arkansas. That's it. That, that town is really close to my one of my bus drivers, Butch. So uh, I know I know Sheridan, Arkansas, very well. Um, so your question: You're super young. You you like a girl. You asked her out, and she has a little boy. Now you're you're saying that's not a con, and and I don't think it is either. If you love her, and or if you will love her, and if she's a great girl, but but it it does put a wrinkle in things, in terms of you you have to play this a little differently than you would a girl with no ties, no commitments, no children. The reason I say that is because she's a single mom and we have to treat that uh, in a special way. Like you're, you're going to have to make arrangements with her always with this child in mind. And, and she's going to put that child first until she gets remarried. She's going to put this child first. So you're going to have to play second to the little boy. And that's not a bad thing, but you have to be aware of that. You're second place for her until she remarries. I, I want you to be very aware of that. I want you to be very aware that this is not something we play around with. You don't play around with single moms. This is not casual dating. She's looking to find a man in her life. She's looking to find a solid father figure for her little boy. And that's not something to take lightly. You can't let that be lost on you, that that's what she's looking for. So this isn't this isn't your casual go out, have fun, maybe or maybe not like her or not. You got to be super honest, super up forward, 
state your intentions from the very beginning. This is what I have in mind. This is how I feel about you. This is how I don't feel about you. This is how I feel about your little boy. This is how I feel about you being a single mom. Let's be completely honest. Let's open up communication more than you would, maybe a little bit more than you're comfortable in doing, but that's what she deserves. She deserves your straight up honesty. And if you don't like her after date three, you tell her, hey, I don't think this is going to work out. I think you're a great girl. I think you've got a great little boy, but I want to be honest with you. I don't want to waste your time because your, your clock is ticking. You need to find a father figure for this boy, and I don't think it's me. So be honest. Don't drag this out. Don't be deceptive to her, okay? Now, I think you should do that in any relationship, but you're more hyper aware of it now that she's a single mom. Subject line here, how to forgive my mom. Hey, Granger. My name is Kate. I'm from North Dakota. I'm 20 years old. Last time I saw my mom was when I was 16. My mom and I don't have a relationship anymore, and we never really did. Even though she found out she was pregnant with me and she didn't want to give me up growing up, or excuse me, she didn't want me growing up, it was always about my brother, and she never really cared about me. She would kick me out when I was the age of seven. So my dad would come to get me, usually within the first 30 minutes of me being with her. There's a lot of other things that she did that were worse, but now that I'm older, this is still affecting me since I keep learning more and more stuff about what she did to me. I haven't seen her since I was 16, and I wish I could just forgive her and forget, but the more I learn, the more I hate her. How could I just learn to forget about all that she's done so that it could affect me less. Thanks for your time, Kate. Yeah, Kate, thanks for the email. Shout out to North Dakota. I've been there a couple times this year. I love that state. Um, tough situation, and thank you for being vulnerable and, and open it up on this podcast. So forgiveness is a, is a tricky thing because it's, it's very difficult for our heart to forgive. It's very difficult for our heart to do a lot of things. And our mind, on the other hand, like your mind is clear in this email that what you want to do that with your brain is you want to say, I just want to forgive her so I can move on and it, it could affect me less. That's what your brain is saying. But your heart is saying, no, I hate her. I can't forgive someone I hate. Even though this is my biological mother, she has done terrible things to me. She has affected me negatively as I grew up and I don't want to forgive her. So let's let's unpack that because we could say we could say several things about this. One, you you are who you are, the strong woman that you are, Kate, because of the lack of mother that you had growing up. So take that away and you're a different person. Maybe not as good a person, which is interesting, right? Because we're always a product of how we were brought up and, and the surroundings and, and the people that we put ourselves in the same circle with. We're a product of that. So it's interesting to think that if you take that away from you, you're more than likely less of a person because without that affliction and, and that suffering, without you being refined like gold and hot fire, you're not the refined human that you are today. So that's a good thing. So in a lot of ways, you could thank her for that even though she didn't mean for you to be a better person. She didn't mean for you to be a refined piece of gold, but that's what she did. And so in a strange way, you thank her for that. That's one thing to unpack. The other thing is forgiveness. Like I said, it's a tricky thing. Your mind knows that you should. The Bible says that you should. And sometimes when it comes to forgiveness, we have to say things out loud and say it to her, and say it to ourselves, and preach it to ourselves, and then let our heart catch up to that later. So I'm not expecting you to say, Mom, I forgive you. I officially forgive you, and I'm moving on. I'm not expecting you to say that and believe it. You know what I mean? So there, there's a difference between saying and believing at the same time, and saying it, and knowing that that's right, that's the right thing to do, and, and I believe you're correct and saying, you need to forgive her. You need to love her as your biological mother, regardless of what she's done, because you can't control what she's done and you can't control who she is, but you can only control the controllables, which is you and your reaction to her. So tell her, 
Mom, I, I got to tell you. Call her up. I got to tell you. I just love you and I forgive you. And you don't have to say, but, or here's what you did wrong, or let me make a list of things that you did that hurt me, because she knows. She's a human. She might be prideful. She might not admit it, but of course she knows. Any human knows. Any mother knows. She knows exactly what happened. She knows exactly what she's still continuing to do. She knows the damage that's been done. So you don't need to tell her. You don't need a reminder. That doesn't do any good for you. But you tell her, I love you and I forgive you. And your heart is screaming inside your chest. It's going, I don't forgive you. I hate you. I don't love you. I hate you, mom. That's what your heart is telling you. But your brain says, no, I'm going to say this. I'm going to put this out there. And I'm going to say it over and over until my heart finally catches up. It's like a war of attrition against your heart. Your brain and your heart are at war always. Sometimes they line up. Sometimes they do. And you're blessed if they do. But a lot of times they don't. And so during this war of attrition, your mind needs to win, not your heart. Your feelings don't get to win over your thoughts. Because your thoughts are calculating everything around you. Your, your heart is thinking in one direction, just with your gut feeling. And we cannot trust our gut feeling. So use your brain and go, There's, you know what? I am who I am because of my mom. And she brought me into this world. She might not even have wanted me. She might have given more attention to my brother. She might have shipped me off to my dad. But you know what? I got a good dad. A lot of people don't. I got a good dad. And I got a mom that's still alive. A lot of people don't. And I could still tell her that I love her. And a lot of people can't. And I might not get that back from her, but I don't need that back from her. Because I can't control that. So I'm going to tell her I forgive her and I love her. And eventually, after I say it enough times, my heart will catch up to it. And then you'll be better for it. Let's hit one more and take a break. Interesting subject line says, am I being selfish? Mr. Smith, I'd like to remain anonymous. I have a four-year-old boy. I uprooted my life and moved states to be with my current girlfriend. His mom lives hours away from me. My current girlfriend thinks that he will do better at his mom's rather than at our house. She seems to be more and more pushy about the subject. She says it's because she doesn't listen to her. And when he's at his mom's, he wasn't acting the way he acts here. I just want to I just don't want to go because I don't want to miss out. Is this me being selfish? I also feel like if he stays, I lose my girlfriend and my kids, two boys and one girl. One boy we have together, and she had a girl before me. Been a longtime fan. Love your concerts. Thanks for your time. Yee yee. Okay, anonymous. Tough, tough, tough situation. Um, sticky. A lot of, lot of deal. A lot of, lot of variables here. Uh, So I'm going to recap this so my own brain understands. You have a four-year-old boy. Baby mama lives away from you guys. And your current girlfriend doesn't really want much to do with the boy. She has her own kids. Um, She's blaming it on the four-year-old boy doesn't listen to her. And he listens to his, his mama, his baby mama more. You, you're questioning if you're being selfish by loving your own four-year-old boy and not being as respecting your girlfriend's wishes, which you have, you have a boy together. This is complicated. I'm trying to figure it out myself. So you you guys, um, there's, there's a lot of floating variables here, but, but here's the deal. Um, let me just focus on one thing, since I don't totally understand the family dynamic. You, you're never, ever going to be selfish by giving attention to your four-year-old boy, which four-year-olds are, are difficult. I mean, uh, he's not minding your girlfriend? Of course he's not. What does she expect? What does she expect him just to be totally obedient to a, to a girlfriend? I want to say random girlfriend, 
sorry, that's disrespectful, but of course he's not minding her. Of course he's not going to listen to her more than his own biological mother. This is a, this is a complicated issue, but you're, you take selfish out of it. Because if you're giving attention to your boy, if you're doing what's best for your boy, not to the girlfriend that you haven't married yet, that's not being selfish. That's being a responsible dad to a child you brought into this world. So I say this out of love, and I'm not trying to knock you at all, but man, turn away from that thought. Once again, I'm not totally sure if that's what you mean by being selfish, but I think it does. And I don't want you to ever think you're being selfish by giving attention to your boy. Now, that that comes ahead of your girlfriend's kids. It comes ahead of your girlfriend until you marry her and she's your wife and she becomes your number one in your family. Until then, right now, your priority is your boy, not your girlfriend. Because I could tell you right now, just hearing your story, girlfriends, this is probably not your last one you're going to have in your life. There's probably going to be another one. But this, is, this, is, this boy is only four years old one time, right now. And he needs his daddy. And we could tie all these questions together with that, that I've read today. But this four-year-old boy needs his daddy more than this girl needs her boyfriend. Stack up the priorities. Get them right. Get them straight. Now, you don't have to neglect your girlfriend or her kids you don't have to neglect baby mama. You don't have to you you could spread yourself out. You could still work a job and and be a super dad and and float around and and be there for all these people, but you got to put that boy first because he's growing up fast. And the story I read right before this when the mama didn't want the girl, look what happens. You get a 20-year-old boy that says I'm so confused. I don't know anything in this life. I'm worried. I'm stressed out. My dad didn't really want me. He spent more attention to his girlfriend and her kids and not me. You don't want that. That's a problem you don't want to have. You don't want to email me with that question. So you, you have right now, this present moment, to make sure you get this fixed, seared up, taken care of. Be a responsible dad. That's your priority. Let's take a break and be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast, y'all. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. And this is actually very relevant to these questions I've been answering today. How well would you take care of your car if you had to keep the same one your entire life? Well, that's how our brains work. So why don't we treat them the same way? How we take care of our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. But there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, those of y'all listening know I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a therapist but I could lead you to one that's very easy to get a hold of and very affordable. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy. You could be matched with a therapist in just 48 hours. This is a really cool service that wasn't available not too long ago. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Granger. That's BetterHelp.com slash Granger. If you want to find more ways to get a hold of me, I'm at all social media at Granger Smith. You could also get a personal video message from me by going to Cameo.com slash Granger Smith or download the Cameo app and search for me, Granger Smith. I will shoot you over a customized video right here from my phone and say whatever you need me to say. Happy birthday, happy anniversary, words of encouragement, something funny, hey, whatever it might be, you set it up and I'll send it for you or whoever you want me to. Go to cameo.com slash Granger Smith. Let's get back to some more questions. Email me, GrangerSmithPodcast at gmail.com. That's where I'm getting these questions from. I'll answer yours, anything, any subject. My only thing is try to keep it about the a phone length and don't send this, don't send the same email twice. That's that's my two rules. 
Next question, septic line says, in-law issues. Hey, Granger, my name is Danielle. I'm from Texas. I'm struggling with my in-laws and their disapproval. I moved in with my now husband as roommates and friends. When they first got to know me, they loved me, and they even told my now husband that he should date me. My husband has had issues with his parents and sisters when it came to girlfriends in the past. He always told me that he would not tell him he was dating. He always told me that he would not tell him he was dating someone until they liked them as a person. I think he meant they. He would not tell them. So I never understood until he told them we were dating. About a month, about one month after he told them we were dating, they began spreading lies about me and my now husband and telling him horrible things that weren't true. They even trashed my name to the whole family. It all started with his sister, who still today wants nothing to do with me or him. She says that he has changed into a different person since he met me. I will say that I did screw up, and I regret it because I acted out of hurt and anger. When they were attacking me in my name, I confronted them, and that was not in the best way. I've apologized, but nothing has gotten better. Today, the rest of the family has no issues with me, and now his parents are not telling the truth about me and the relationship with my husband. Do you have any suggestions on healing the relationship with the sister and parent-in-laws? Yeah, thank you, Danielle. Um, Shout out to my homestead of Texas. Thanks for the email. This is a tough situation. In-law issues come up a lot. I see this quite a bit in these emails. So you're not alone. Um, In-laws are not always going to like the person that their son chooses. And I think partly that comes from they, they want the best for their son. And you will one day too. And it's hard to know what the best is. It's hard to know a situation completely unless you're actually in it. So we can't completely blame them from looking from the outside in and making judgment calls and wanting the best and not thinking that you're the best. And can you blame them? That's what they want out of love. It's what they really want. And so does the sister. So knowing that is a huge part of this whole struggle, just knowing that they're coming from a place of love, even though it doesn't feel like it or seem like it or look like it to you, they're coming from a place of love for their son. So that's understandable why they have done this in the past to him too, the same thing, which tells you that it's not about you. It's more about their judgment for wanting the best for their son. Once you understand that, it's like, okay, well, okay, I get it. I get they're, they're being very strict on who he's with uh, because they want the best for him. They might not think I'm the best. I've actually lashed out in the past against them. I'm battling them for this and okay, I get it. I see why they don't like me. So what do you do now? Because the damage has been done. So what do you do now? And that's, that's your question. Treat them with love and respect, grace and forgiveness. You don't lash out. You don't judge them back. You control the controllables, not the uncontrollables. You can't control how they react to you. You can't control their past or how they thought that he was supposed to grow up as a little boy and now he's not He's a different person now. That's what they think. You can't control what they think. But you can control how you react to them. It's not easy. But that's what you do. You don't ever lash out. You listen. In fact, I would say listen 70% of the time. Listen and talk 30%. And that kind of goes with anything in life. People have been saying that for thousands of years. Talk less. Don't talk so much. Let them talk. And as angry as you get when you hear these evil things coming out of their mouth and they're degrading you and saying your husband's changed, as evil as it sounds in your ears, make the words come out of your mouth and say, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And I don't want you to feel that way. And I'm trying hard to correct that. How could I be a better daughter-in-law to you? Put it back on him. Ask him a question. How can I be a better daughter-in-law to you? Let them answer it. Let them see how maybe ridiculous their claims are by trying to answer how you can correct it and watch as they start backpedaling and say, well, it's not, it's not what you could do. I mean, you're a great girl and it's, yeah, it's just, it's, 
it's him and he's different now and it's it's not it's not as much watch them start backpedaling and saying that if you give them a chance if you ask them the question if you surrender to that but if you come in and go hey don't no, i'm not like that and not but you're you're judgmental and that, then they get up back on the defense and then they don't like you and nothing gets fixed ever nothing gets fixed and you're thinking well it's not my job to fix them and like we should meet in the middle we should compromise not necessarily I've never read a book that says you have to compromise with your in-laws. I would say respect them. Open up to them. Ask them the question. Ask them how you could be better. Don't lash out. And whatever you do, don't do this to your husband. Don't blame him for his in-laws. Your mom and your dad and your sister and the way you were raised and you were coddled growing up and blah, blah, blah. You were helicoptered. Avoid that. Let that go. Save it. You might think it. Your heart might feel it. But don't say it. Don't put it out there. It's like that first email we read. Just put out forgiveness. Let your heart catch up later. Tell them you're sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the damage I've done in the past. I'm sorry for lashing out in the past. I shouldn't have done that. And I want to be better. I want to be a better daughter-in-law. Help me. How, help me learn how to do that. Well, you should just know. I, I don't. Could you help me with it? Can you give me some suggestions? I'm still, I'm just a work in progress. I'm trying to be a good wife. I'm trying to be a good daughter-in-law. I'm trying to be a good sister-in-law. But I'm a work in progress and I'm a human and I still make mistakes. Can you help me? Help me learn how to be better with that. Who could argue against that? Who could put you down when you're saying that? Maybe they can the first time, but not the second and the third. Hold your ground. Hold that forgiveness. Hold that gratefulness. Hold that honoring of them. Don't let it go. That's your new front. Be silent 70% of the time. I'm telling you, this is how it's going to get better. There's no other way. Next email, subject line says, let the light shine. Hey, Granger, I'd like to stay anonymous. I'm a Christian and 24 years old. I have a few siblings that don't follow the Lord, and it's hard for me to look at their life. My mom worries about them, and I can't help but worry for them too. I'd like to hear your advice on how I could be a witness to them and let my light shine. Just a note, I don't live close to them. In person is not possible at the moment. I wish with all my heart that they would just follow Jesus and live for him. I love your podcast. Thanks in advance. The question comes from Anonymous. Thank you for emailing. 24 years old. Don't say where you're from. And um, hey, you're living, you're living the life. This is, uh, this is, this is the life that we've been called for. Um, families are split up. Friends are split up. Different mentalities, different worldviews. No surprise. So you're asking how you could let your light shine. Well, I believe that you already know. I, be I believe it's part of your question is you already know how to let your light shine. You're just wanting reassurance from me. But um, it starts with you and yourself. It starts with waking up and, and spending time in the Word. And not just knowing the word of God, but knowing the God who wrote the word. How, how well do you know the God behind the word and not just the word of God? That, that would be my question, my first question to you. And, and the answer should be, not enough. Not enough. So tomorrow I'm going to start all over. A lot of prayer, a lot of wise counsel. My three answers to any question are prayer, read the word, seek wise counsel. But that's what I do. Those are my three answers to every question. Prayer, read the Bible, seek wise counsel. And with this situation, your situation, well, even better. That's easy. That's, those three things easily fix your question. Now, it's not going to save them. It's not going to convince them of anything. But it's going to help you be that light that you're talking about. It's going to help you be that light for them. So then it also helps you keep accountable. Like, hey, I better not... I better not mess up. I better not be a hypocrite to what I'm trying to say. Because why? Because they're going to see me. And as soon as they see me be a hypocrite on what I'm trying to tell them, they're never going to believe it. So you show them the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of it. So you tell them the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, did you know God became flesh and came to this earth to live a life, to live a life 
of example for us. He died on a cross, was crucified in front of hundreds of eyewitnesses, was resurrected, came back to life miraculously, the only person to ever come back to life, recorded in history. I witnessed, and people wrote it down. Did you know that? Did you know he did that? So he conquered death so we wouldn't have to because we weren't capable of it. We weren't capable of defeating our sin. And our sin is keeping us from a righteous God, a holy God. We could never approach God with our sin. We're rebels, sinful rebels. So Jesus comes down, the Son of God, and he takes the place of us so that when God looks at us, he sees his Son. He sees perfect perfection because that's what he was on this earth. He shields us from that. He takes the place of that for us. He abides in us. That's the gospel. And all you got to do is believe that message and you'll be shielded from that. You'll get eternal life. You'll be cleansed. You'll start hating your own sin. That's the gospel. So we preach that. How long did that take me? 30 seconds. So you say that. And someone says, I don't believe that garbage. Go, yeah. I used to feel that way too. I understand. But that doesn't change the fact that it happened. Just because you don't understand it or you think it's garbage doesn't change the fact that it did happen. And I'm not trying to push it down your throat. I'm just trying to tell you out of love for you. This, this is the answer to joy and peace, love, hope. That's the answer to it. That's it. That's shining a light. Don't be a hypocrite. It's easy to do that. Next question, subject line says, memorizing lines for a play. Hey, Granger, my name is Grant Tyler. I'm 15 years old from Alabama. This year for B, uh, VBS at my church, I got the lead role for a drama segment. I was thrilled to see that I got it. There's a small issue, though. I can't figure out how to memorize my lines. I have about three weeks to memorize everything. How do you memorize whenever you're filming for a movie? Thanks, Grant Tyler. Grant, thanks for the email, buddy. 15 years old from Alabama, great state. Shout out to y'all. Thanks for, uh, for opening up to me. This is really cool. You got this spot. And man, that's a great question because when I, when I took on the role of this movie that we shot this year, that's one of the things I just really didn't think about was how much memorization was going to go into all of these lines. And we shot for four weeks every day. I had the lead role. I'm talking a lot. Not only am I saying lines, but I'm also playing off other people's lines so that I almost have to know all their lines too. So if I'm sitting at a dinner table and there's all these people having this dinner conversation, I have to know what they're saying and how they that other person reacts to that person. Then that person says something, and now it's my turn to react to this person on my left. And so I'm memorizing everything, and it was a lot. So I totally get it, Grant. Um, but, the, you know, the, there's a lot of ways that different brains memorize different ways. And there's apps for that, and there's YouTube videos you could watch on that. But, but what I found best for me and my personality and my brain was just, I would go over it and I would sit down with my lines the night before and I would just read them over and over and over about 10 times. I would read my lines about 10 times. And then I, on, on the 10th time, I would turn my script over and I would say it out loud. And I would say it and I would say the general idea of what the other person said back and then I would say my line again and then I would stumble and I'd flip the script and I'd look at it and I would say, oh, dang it, there it was. There was that line right there. And I'd flip the script back over again, and I would start again from the top. And I would do that till I got it down, and then when I, when I can get it down, I would do it about 10 times. So 10 times reading it, 10 times saying it out loud without reading it. And usually, it starts kind of going in the memory bank by then. And I would move on, and I would, you know, make a cup of coffee. I'd go and do some other things, and I would go back and take the script and start over and start the process again. Until I didn't need the script at all. I could just drive around in my truck and say, okay, what's scene number 157? And I could just say it. And then I would stumble halfway through it and I would get the script and I'm, oh, there it is, there it is, there it is. But it's just repetition, repetition over and over. Good luck with that, brother. Next question, subject line says, life. Hey, Granger, my name is Devon and I've been, or probably Devon. My name's Devin, and I've been wondering about something. I feel like I'm taking the wrong path in life and going against God's word. 
I've been doing things behind my parents' back, and I know that it's wrong, but the temptation keeps pulling me back, and I do the same things I ask for redemption for. I want to stop, but I don't know how. What's your advice? Thanks, Devin. I appreciate you, buddy. Um, doesn't say where you're from or how old you are, but uh, thank you for thanks for the email. So here's the thing. This is going to go back to a heart question again. We're going back to the heart versus the mind. So this is very clear in your email. Your mind knows what to do and what not to do, but your heart keeps taking you back again. So it's a battle. This is a battle of attrition between the heart and the mind. The mind needs to win. The heart doesn't get to win, y'all. Don't, don't listen to people that say, follow your heart, go with your gut, reject those things. Don't go with your gut, don't follow your heart. Use your brain. Now, it's great to have feelings. It's great to have the heart could lead you passionately somewhere, but the brain needs to be the one directing. So it's like if the heart's the engine of the truck and it's going, it's revving up, but your brain's the steering wheel and the brakes. Your brain gets to say, accelerator down, brake on, turn left, and the heart's just revving, 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 okay? So you need both, and it's good to have both. A truck needs both. But you need to be able to direct it with your mind. Use your mind, not your heart. Turn the steering wheel with your mind. Accelerate with your mind. Hit the brakes with with your mind. And let all the revving be done by your heart. Okay? So the Bible says, you said you're you're taking the wrong path. You're going against God's word. The Bible says that the, the, the heart is wicked and deceitful and we can't control it. So what does that mean? It's like, well, what do you mean we can't control it? Well, what do we do? Surrender. Prayer. Back into God's word. We say, God, God, I'm failing. I'm failing this, this specific thing. I'm doing this again. I can't stop it. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me. Turn my heart around. The Bible says that my heart is in the palm of your hand. You can direct it how you want. Turn it this way. Turn it back to you. Turn it back to the light. I don't want to walk in the dark anymore. I'm tired of walking in the dark. I don't want to go there. Take me back to the light. Direct me to the light. Turn me this way. I can't do it alone. I need you. I'm totally surrendering to you. I'm, I'm in the boat, and I'm pulling down the sails, and I'm throwing the oars in the water, and I'm saying, you guide this boat because I'm tired, I'm struggling, my arms are weak, I'm tired of rowing, I'm tired of the wind taking me every which way, so you take me. You control the source of this river, you can control the destination of this river, you can control the current of this river, and I'm just sitting in the boat. Take me there. I surrender to you. That's it. And until you do that, until you decide to throw the oars in the water, to take your sails down, to surrender to that, you're probably going to keep slipping back into the dark. That's the beauty of it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Just surrender. We hate that word in the U.S. In fact, most of the world, we hate that surrender. We don't, we don't like throwing in the towel. We don't like waving a white flag. We don't like the word surrender because that shows weakness. It defines weakness in us. But God says, yes, yes, that defines weakness in you, and I have the power, so give it back to me. Let me do it. Let me do it for you. Surrender to me. Get back in my word. Get back, in, get back on your knees. It's like, God, I'm back, on, I'm back here again. I'm asking, I'm asking the same thing again, but I'm circling the wagons on this, and I'm not going to let this go. I'm giving it back to you. Change my heart. Take me, take me back out of the dark, back into the light. That's it, Devin. Let's hit up one more here. Subject line says, depression. Hey, Granger, my name is Carson. I'm a huge fan. Absolutely love your music and your podcast. I listen all the time. My question for you today is, what's the best advice I can give someone who's dealing with depression and how I can keep them to see how beautiful life is? Thank you and God bless. Yee yee. Say hi to Earl for me. Sincerely, Carson. Yeah, depression, it's a big thing. It's, a, it's an epidemic in this country. There's, here's the epidemics in this country that I've learned from this podcast. Heartbreak, loneliness, and depression. 
And sometimes all three are related. In fact, a lot of times all three are related. Heartbreak includes grief. Heartbreak is a form of grief. It's a broken heart from losing somebody or not having something, some dream, something you've always wanted or always thought you could have. It's gone. Heartbreak, grief. Loneliness. Sometimes you could be lonely with somebody. Sometimes you could be lonely alone. And the depression is the final result of all this together. Sometimes depression could be the result of other things, other factors, or it could come from loneliness and heartbreak or both at the same time. But these are three epidemics I see come through on questions all the time. In fact, right now, as I'm talking, someone is typing an email to me, grangersmithpodcast at gmail.com, asking about one of those three things. I guarantee it. It's an epidemic in this world. So what do you do? Your, your question is, what's the advice I can give someone who's dealing with depression? and how I could help them see how beautiful life is? That's an interesting question. Right after that, you say, thank you and God bless, lowercase g, God, lowercase g. Thank you and lowercase g, God bless. Interesting. Interesting. Because because the only thing I would tell you is that creation, a, a created being like me and you and your friend, We were created to know our creator. Separation from our creator creates dissonance, darkness, depression, lost, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to fulfill ourselves, endlessly searching for purpose and meaning. This is like ancient stuff. Like people have been writing about this for thousands of years. The meaning of life, purpose behind our life. How to, how to find our life, how to find happiness. Those are always the questions, and the answer is always, the creation needs to find the creator. And once the creation finds the creator, all of those answers come, to, to, come together. When you think about creation, and you think about anything that's been created, you think about... When you, when you have a problem with your Chevy truck and you take it to your local mechanic and he goes, man, this is, this is a Chevy thing. This is a computer thing that was built into the truck. This is beyond what I could fix. And you, you take it to the local redneck who knows everything about trucks. And he goes, this is, this is beyond me. So what do you do? What do you do when you get those answers? You take it to the Chevy dealership. You take it back to the creator. And you say, hey, you made this truck. It's not running right. I've tried other things to fix it. I've tried myself. I've gotten under the hood. I've listened to it. I've taken it to other people that know about trucks. But I can't fix it. It's not running right. You fix it. (laughs) So then the creator of the truck goes, yeah, we built it. We built it from scratch. We, We built every component of it. We put it together piece by piece. We've got the instruction manual right here. We, we have a copy for you. Here it is. For us, it's called the Bible. So they give you the instruction manual, and you look at it, and you go, yeah, yeah, okay, I see it right here. Here's the troubleshooting guide in the back, and it says, see page 146, and there it is, and you go, but, but I can't fix that. And the, the creator of the truck goes, yeah, well, we have that part, and we know exactly why this is failing. Let me do it for you. So you go back to the creator, to the dealership, and you look at the manual and you go over it. This is how depression gets fixed. Well, there are some times when depression is is a chemical imbalance in the brain and a doctor has to look at it. So I would say, I would say, have you have you gone to the doctor? Have you have you been diagnosed with something? I'm not talking about some kind of mental disorder that no one knows the answer for. I'm talking about, yeah, okay, there's the chemical imbalance right now. We could see it on the CAT scan. So here's here's a treatment for it. There's that. But generally speaking, for all it, for all the creation, we go back to the creator. So so Carson, you direct him back to his maker. You make him look back at his maker. 
Because then he sees his maker and he sees, oh, there's something bigger. There's a source to the river. There's a destination. There's a purpose. There's a path. There's a plan. And it's not mine. And it's not my oars that do it. It's not the sail on this boat that does it. It's not this motor back here that keeps failing. It's running out of gas and it's not running right and I can't get it started. It's none of that. It's the source of the river that's pushing the water in one direction, and it has a purpose, even though it has turns and twists and obstacles and boulders and bridges that have gone down and rapids and shallow and deep and calm. It all has a purpose because it's coming from a source. It's coming from a creator. So you direct your friend back at that so that he goes, oh, this isn't just meaningless this life isn't purposeless. The suffering that I've been through matters for me. It's, it's refining me like gold in a hot fire. It's making me more pure, more, more perfect so that I could get closer to the destination that way. It's like a father disciplining his child. Oh, I get it now. I'm, I'm being disciplined so that I could be better, so that I could be better for what I need my purpose to be. I get it. There's a roadmap now. Depression is so, it's so dark and, and it, it just envelops you when you realize what's the purpose? Who cares? Why does it matter? Why should I even wake up tomorrow? That, that, that's, that's a scary, scary thought. Why should, why, what's the purpose? Why do, I, why do I even wake up tomorrow? So you redirect them back to the creator and you go, there is, there is a purpose for you. As much as you can't see it, it doesn't matter if you can't see it. A little twig floating down the river can't see the final destination. It just goes. And if it worried about that final destination, it would just go every which way and get lost and sink. So you go, you don't have to know the purpose. You just have to know that someone else made a purpose for you. And it matters. And you matter for that. Direct them back there. Love you guys. See you next Monday. Yee yee. Thanks for joining me on the Granger Smith Podcast. I appreciate all of you guys. You could help me out by rating this podcast on iTunes. If you're on YouTube, subscribe to this channel. Hit that little like button and notifications bell so that you never miss any time I upload a video. If you have a question for me that you would like me to answer, email grangersmithpodcast at gmail.com. Yee yee.